Tonight's scripture reading will be read from 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. It's 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has this eternal life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have this eternal life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I don't know, of course, how many of you, if I were to ask the question, if you were to die tonight, or if the Lord would come in the middle of the night, would you go to heaven, or would you not be saved? But I suspect many of us would hesitate and say, well, I hope I would, or maybe I would, I think I would like to, but hesitate very strongly to say, very possibly, I know that I'm redeemed. We don't mind saying that very strongly in our songs great many of our songs declare that we are redeemed that uh, we're on the way to heaven that uh, we have the glory of God before us and rejoice in it John remember said as we have read in just a moment I write these things to you who believe on the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life that's what we're talking about tonight. How can we know that we have eternal life? I think I know some of the reasons why many of us have problems expressing that in positive terms. For one thing, we know that even if we uh, uh, do have it now, we may not have it later. Uh, it is possible to fall from grace. We've been had that hammered into us through the years, and that's true. Uh, it is very likely, not, not be brother, uh, Gus Nichols was the one who said, I believe in the possibility of apostasy. I don't believe in the probability of apostasy. And I think he's right about that. It's not something that's likely to happen to us, but it is something that can happen to us, and we need to know that and understand it and be prepared for it. Paul said, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So I'm not asking if you, the Lord were to come 10 years from now, or if you were to die 30 years from now, would you go to heaven? We don't know that now, but we ought to be able to know right now what our condition is before God and whether or not we stand among the redeemed. Well, one of the reasons, another reason why we hesitate to make the, a positive statement is because we've heard others make that statement very positively when we felt like we knew from Scripture that they didn't have the kind of hope that they thought they had or the kind of certainty that they were expressing. Uh, and I would urge us to recognize that the reason for that is that they were founding their hopes not upon the promises of God, but on the doctrines and commandments of men. And that's not a safe place to operate, not a safe place to declare that we have hope of heaven in the, year, in the, in the, in the time to come. However, there are some promises of God that we can rest on and know that we have eternal life. I want to start with Romans 8 and verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus 
who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. If you have the King James Version, you may not find that expression, walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, in that particular verse, but look down at verse 4, and it's there. Those are the conditions upon which we will not be condemned if we are in Christ and if we walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I want to talk a little bit more about that second part, what it means to walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, and some other promises in different language, but similar promises. But let me talk just a minute about what it means to be in Christ. I think surely most of this audience would understand what it means to be in Christ, what it takes to be in Christ. The Bible says, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, Galatians 3, 27. Romans 4, uh, Romans 4 says, all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were baptized, therefore, by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even we also should walk in newness of life. We're baptized into Christ. The Bible says that very clearly, and we have seen more than once. I've never understood why uh, baptism is such a handicap to many, many people. I do know they think of it as a work, and therefore we have salvation is not a work, and therefore baptism couldn't have anything to do with it. But I'd like to remind us that uh, in the first place, baptism is not declared to be a work. On the other hand, it is declared not to be a work of righteousness which we have done. In Titus chapter 2, the Bible says, not by our, uh, not by our works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us through the washing, regeneration, and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by the washing of regeneration. Most everybody recognizes that the washing of regeneration is a, uh, is a reference to baptism. Just like, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, is a reference to baptism. Just like when Jesus talked about his wife, the church, and said he wants to commit it as a clear and chaste virgin by the washing of water through the word. Those expressions are not normally thought of by most commentators as referring to baptism. So, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by the washing regeneration, says pretty clearly that baptism is not a work of righteousness which we have done. It's not the kind of work whereby we can boast. It's not the kind of work by which uh, we can suggest that we have earned our salvation or put God in debt to us. That is the kind of works we cannot do. Notice how often when works are mentioned that is not from salvation, Boasting is also mentioned. Galatians 2, verses 4 and 5, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. In the uh, Abraham, in the case of Abraham in chapter 4, the Bible says if Abraham were justified by works, he would have whereof to boast. But then he has, but not before God. You see, if we work our salvation, if we have something we, that merits our earned salvation, if, if we can do good works that cancel out the sins that we've committed before, then we can put God in our debt, and he will owe us salvation. There's only one thing related to this whole salvation issue that is spoken of as being wages or what we deserve. The wages of sin is death. That's the only merit there is to the whole process 
And what it reminds us of is that when we have sinned, we deserve death. That's a scary thought. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the truth is not in us. So the wages of sin is death. And all have sinned. We all have earned or deserve death. That's the second death. That's a biblical truth. But the rest of that verse says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our, our Lord. Everything about eternal life is a free gift. We do not earn it. We do not earn 10% of it. We do not earn 40% of it. We don't earn half of it. We don't earn any of it. It's given to us by God. But it is given to us on certain conditions. I said one time in the pulpit that uh, no gift is ever given that doesn't have some kind of condition. And a fellow walked out beside me and put a $10 bill in my coat pocket and said, I've given you a gift and you didn't meet it with any condition for it. I just gave it to you. I said, well, yes. But as it says there in that pocket, it does me no good, and I've not accepted it. I have to take it out and use it for it to be a gift that is helpful to me and that I make use of. And we have to accept the gift of grace. We have to accept the forgiveness of forgiveness if we're going to be redeemed uh, by faith. That's a, a given and something the Bible speaks of very, very often. Not by righteous right works of righteousness we've done, but by the washing of regeneration. Baptism, by the way, in another sense, is not a work which we do. It's always something done to us. Be baptized is always in the passive sense. When Philip, when the eunuch saw water, he said, here is water, what does hinder me to be baptized? And the Bible says Philip baptized him. We do not baptize ourselves. It's not a work we do. It's a work done for us when we submit to the will of God and allow it to be done. Another condition of salvation, in addition to walking not by faith, not not by walking not by spirit, walking not by flesh, but by the spirit, is expressed in First John one as walking in the light. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, speaking of Jesus, then the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Those who know about such things say, and most of the later translations state, that what that both of those conditions and the apodictus is basically a continuing thing. If we continue to walk in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, continues to wash away our sins. If we quit walking in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ quits forgiving us of our sins and washing them away. That's a glorious promise. It goes with, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. To walk not after the flesh but after the spirit is very closely akin to walking in the light and not in darkness. Uh, James goes on to define that to some degree when he says you walk in darkness if you hate your brother. You cannot say that you're walking in the light if there's hatred in your heart toward a brother. If we love God whom we have not seen, we cannot love God whom we have not seen unless we love our brother whom we have seen. Walking in the light includes that. 
that's not completely uh, the definition of it. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that to walk after the flesh is to mind the things of the flesh. And to walk after the spirit is to be led by the spirit and to mind the things of the spirit. There's a contrast there that's very strong. I think most of us recognize from our own innards what it is to walk by flesh. Our flesh leads us, if we let it go free, to sin. By the way, that's not something that happened when Adam sinned. That's something that's been true from the time of creation. There are lots of people who seem to think that when Adam sinned, that brought sin into the world. It did bring sin into the world, but it didn't cause the rest of us to be sinners. On the contrary, it brought death to all of us, but we bring sin upon ourselves. And a matter of fact, the Bible says, by one man sin entered the world, and by one man death by sin. But all men have sinned. All men die because all have sinned. We die for our own sins, and not for Adam's, not for our grandparents, not for anybody else's. It's for ourselves. It's the wages of our sin that is death for us. However, there is a free gift out there, and we can accept it and receive it by the conditions that God has given. One of them is walk by the spirit and not by flesh. He talks about that in the rest of the chapter. If we obey the desires of the flesh, we'll do many things contrary to the will of God. It's fairly obvious. I think you could recognize that in your own life. Everything related to the flesh, we have to keep a rein on it, so to speak, in order not to carry it to an extreme. Everything related to the flesh is something God has given us. It's something that can be used for the glory of God. But it is also something that we need to exercise self-control about, lest it rule over us instead of us ruling over it. So, Paul speaks in another, virtue, another book, in Colossians chapter 2, of the fact that we are risen with Christ by faith in the operation of God, and therefore we are raised with him by the faith that, that Jesus, God used to raise Jesus from the dead. That's a wonderful expression. The very power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, when we are baptized, raises us to walk in newness of life. It gives us freedom from sin. It cuts off the old man, just as circumcision cut off a piece of the flesh, it cuts off the man of sin, the part of us that yields to sin all the time. Not perfectly. Otherwise, we would be able to say we have no sin. And the Bible says we can't do that. But it does relate to a lifestyle that is clear and strong and different from that of the world. Elton Trubud popular preacher a number of years ago, said in a book about 1970, 50 or so, that the time will come when Christians who are monogamous sexual beings loving their wives and their husbands and no one else and remaining uh, celibate until they are married, that whole idea will make us a distinct minority among the peoples of the world. He wasn't a prophet inspired by God, but I think we can see very clearly how that is coming to pass. 
after Paul said in Galatians 2 that we are raised with Christ, buried by Christ and raised with him through the operation of God. He also said in chapter 3, verse 1, If then we are risen with Christ, let us seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And let us live a life styled with righteousness. And I like that expression, lifestyle. Uh, that's what walking not after the flesh but after the spirit is. That's what walking in the light and not in darkness is. It's a lifestyle that concentrates, works hard, deliberately tries to do what's right and not what's wrong. Throughout the gospel, throughout 1 John, uh, that's very clearly said. Those who just continue in sin, those who care not about sin, but like it and go on and give it and all, their, all, their, uh, all are strayed from God, but those who love righteousness and seek truth are walking in the light, and God is blessing them and continually cleansing them from all sin. I've been around a good while, and I remember a great big preacher named Ira North, Ira, Ira Douthit. He was uh, really a great big preacher, especially this way. Uh, and uh, I remember that he preached, by the way, let me just tell something I think was kind of funny. Uh, he was riding a train one time, he told this himself, riding a train one time, having been to preach for a gospel meeting, and he looked like he was asleep, but wasn't, and he heard two women across the aisle from him, uh, snickering at him, and one of them said, look at that old beer belly. And he spoke up very quickly and said, madam, this is not a beer belly, I'm a gospel preacher, this is a chicken coop. <laughs> but he also said, and I remember this vividly, it was about the time that uh, cars, first of all, had vacuum windshield wipers and therefore caused it to go continually back and forth. And he was marveling at the fact that when the rain fell, it didn't stay there, but as soon as it fell, the, the, washing, the wipers marked it uh, completely away. And that, he said, is kin to the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleansing us from all sin. And just as the white windshield wiper wipes away our rain as soon as it falls on the uh, windshield, so the blood of Jesus Christ wipes away our sin as soon as it occurs. Well, Brother May, that mean you have, don't have to pray and don't have to ask God for forgiveness? Well, no, it doesn't mean that. Because obviously, if we continue in sin, and we know we've sinned, and we don't pray and ask for forgiveness, we're not walking in the light. But on the other hand, if we are doing that, here's the key. God doesn't wait until we ask for forgiveness and pray about it before he forgives us of our sin. Immediately, when we sin, just like the windshield wiper wipes away the rain, the blood of Jesus Christ has already wiped away our sin. That's a glorious promise. I have known some brethren who seem to have this idea. And when I was baptized, my sins were all forgiven. But a day or two, I committed another sin. And I was put in grace at the time when my sins were forgiven at baptism. But when I sinned a day or two later, I fell out of grace. And I was out of grace until I prayed for that sin to be forgiven. And then when I prayed, I was back in grace. And every, as often as I sinned, I fell out of grace. And when I prayed about it, I got back in grace. And there's no way to know then to have any blessed assurance. Randy talks about blessed assurance with our fingers crossed. 
We don't have to cross our fingers about blessed assurance. We can know that we have eternal life. John said that. And in that connection, he is saying that we have the, the on the condition of continually walking in the light. But walking in the light doesn't mean never sinning. Did you notice what it said? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. There wouldn't be any sin for it to cleanse us from if walking in the light meant there we don't ever sin. doesn't mean that. But it does mean that our lifestyle, our mindset, is toward doing the will of God, and that's what we work at, and that's what we're growing in, and that's what we continue to get better in as our years go by. And that's the blessed promise of God. We stay in grace all the time because the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John chapter, uh, Romans chapter 4 quotes David as saying, Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man whose iniquities are covered. Blessed is that man whose sins God doesn't count. That's a great promise. I want to be one of those whose sins God doesn't count. And that too is based on a condition. The same basic condition expressed differently that we have from walking in the light, walking not after the flesh, but after the spirit. It's the condition that we be faithful. That's frequently the term we use to talk about one who is continuing to be in grace. We talk about him being faithful. And faithfulness also brings us relief from sin. It causes us to be one of those whose sins God doesn't count. It's a great thing to be one whose sins God doesn't count because as we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ is washing it away because as we walk not after the flesh but after the spirit, there's no condemnation for us when we sin. There's great comfort for that. But on the other hand, that is a condition. And the condition is fairly strong. And if we walk in the light, we're walking not after the flesh but after the spirit. We're walking in an entirely different lifestyle than the world as a whole. And if our lives just coincide with, go right along with the things of the world, if we have sex as they have sex, if we curse as they curse, if we tell lies as they tell lies, if we're dishonest with our money for the government or anybody else, just like they are dishonest, then we're not walking in the light. And we're walking after the flesh and not after the spirit. But we need to realize this is a condition, and upon this condition, we can truly have eternal life. We can indeed know that our sins are forgiven, that there is no condemnation, that Jesus Christ's blood washes away our sins. We need to live that lifestyle. We don't have to live sinlessly because we don't do that. The Bible says we don't do that. I won't say we can't do that. I don't remember a sin I ever committed that I had to commit, but I do know that we never do that. Nobody ever lives without sin. And therefore, even though we sin, we can still walk in the light, walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And we can therefore be forgiven. We can be one of those whose sins God doesn't count. I remember when I was married to Winnie, we'd drive along the road, and I'd do a little zinger at her, and uh, she'd do this. And I knew what she meant. She meant, I'm marking that up, and I'm going to get you back. <laughs> and, and she meant that, and she did. But 
God doesn't do that. He doesn't mark it up. He ignores it. It's forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. It's a lifestyle we need to commit ourselves to. And we need to diligently work at it, if you please, because it's a lifestyle God wants us to have. People sometimes say that we can't fall from grace. And I know the biggest objection to what I'm saying in part of many Christians is I'm leaving out that fact that we can fall from grace and therefore we, we, we may be condemned. It's been very difficult for me to understand how people can say we can't fall from grace when there is a passage in Romans chapter 5 and verse 4 that speaks of some people he's been preaching to at Galatia and saying to them, you have fallen from grace. It says that very clearly. Uh, many temptations in the Bible relate to that. Uh, book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Believers, John said, have eternal life. Eternal life is basically forgiveness of sins. It's the ability to live with God and Christ in fellowship with him in, in this life uh, as, as, as Christ has made it possible for us to do. We walk in the light. We are faithful to God. Matter of fact, Paul uses the expression in Romans chapter 4 that we walk in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham. So faithfulness is a continuous thing. It's a thing that involves effort. And we are not walking in the light if our lifestyle is altogether just like the world. It needs to be very different. It needs to be obviously different to us. It needs to be obviously different to those who see us in order that they may know, too, that we are children of light. I don't know how many of you would be able to say this. I would hope that virtually all of us, maybe all of us, I'm in Christ. I know I am because God tells me that I'm a child of God by faith because I've been baptized into faith, into Christ, and have put on Christ. And I think we can know in our hearts whether we really want to serve God or whether we're very willing to let the flesh, the world, our desires physically to conduct our lives for us and lead us off into various kinds of sin. May I challenge each one of us tonight to look at ourselves and ask, number one, am I in Christ? Number two, am I walking not after the flesh but after the spirit? Am I really striving to do the will of God? Not perfectly, I know I don't, but nevertheless, I want to, I work at it, and I'm growing in it and doing better day by day. If we can say that, then with John we can say, I know that I have eternal life. If you're here and can't say that, I would urge you to be baptized into Christ or to walk not after the flesh but after the spirit in your lifestyle and so be one who can know that you have eternal life while we stand and while we sing.